Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. I am so delighted to welcome my friend, my mentor, someone who's really meant a lot to me, Dr. Michael Cho. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Drew. It's a, a joy to be here. We met probably back in 2013. Approximately, yeah. Yeah, at Wheaton College. In the basement, I think, of Smith Traber. <laughs> That's right. Yep, in the basement. And you were you were coming to speak to our group, and I remember connecting with you. And over the years, we've continued to stay connected. And when I was just launching Husband Material, you were one of the core members of my prayer team. Yeah, that was fun. That was really a, um, a, a privilege and a pleasure. And so for all of you guys who are out there listening and some of you who have been my clients, Michael has probably <laughs> prayed for you at some point or another. And by the way, um, you also helped me think through and publish Redeem Sexuality, my first book. Now, yeah, that, that was, was a journey fun. of trusting God. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> For you and more than me, but I was. it was fun to be a part of it. Yeah, it was terrifying for me to be a part of it <laughs> and extremely difficult. But that's a huge part of, of what led me here. Um, writing that book, eventually becoming a stay-at-home dad, um, starting Husband Material, navigating grief when my son died. Mm. Um, Dear Josiah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Walking together through that was also extremely important for me. Um, I remember thinking, I'll just take two weeks off of work. And I remember you telling me, Drew, are you sure about that? <laughs> I needed about three months. For sure. For sure. Totally. And one of the areas where we have been talking about a lot lately, where I've needed to do a lot of personal work myself, is in comparison. And that is such a core issue. That is such an important topic for us, especially as we're seeking to outgrow porn. But before we get into the topic, who is Michael Cho? (laughs) Who is he? I don't know. So um, I met Drew back in Wheaton College because I was working for a ministry called His Mansion Ministry, which is a resident, Christ-centered residential community um, out in New Hampshire for young adults who are struggling with um, all sorts of life-controlling behavior, um, including sexual addiction, uh, come and find a place to be discipled and to um, experience the love of Christ in community. And I got the privilege of serving there for 11 years before um, God opened a door for me to move to um, none other than Wheaton, Illinois, but not to Wheaton College primarily, um, but to start as a family physician specializing in mental health care. Um, So um, I am no longer doing kind of full spectrum family medicine, but I am um, 100% dedicated to work um, with those struggling with mental health issues. And that's my joy. Um, that's the part of um, family medicine that I love. And I have the privilege of working with seven psychiatrists and 23 psychologists and master level therapists um, in, at Alliance Clinical Associates. 
And um, we get to do some amazing work here with kids all the way through the geriatric population um, with a special uh, interest and love for working with adolescents and young adults. And so about 70% of my um, patient population is under the age of 30. Um, and uh, that is something that has just been a real joy to do for the last two years here in Wheaton, Wheaton Illinois. And um, yeah, so I'm very grateful for the Lord to give me this opportunity um, to be in this community, uh, to raise, uh, I have four children, um, four young adult children. My oldest is 25. And, uh, uh, and I have, my youngest is 18 and he lives with me and um, uh, is a senior in high school. So I'm very grateful to have an opportunity to talk with Drew today. Yeah. And another thing that we have in common is that we've both been through the unwanted guide training with Jay Stringer. Absolutely. That has been um, really transformative for me. And Drew actually introduced me to the training and that has helped me grow in my own healing process, but also informed how I work with my patients and um, others in, within my church. Yeah. And also friends like me, I mean, you've helped me work through a lot. That's because you want to, you want to grow Drew. So I'm glad to be a part of it. That's, that's where I want to be. I want to be wherever people want to be spiritually formed more into the likeness of Jesus. And, and Drew, you have a passion for that because you know, you need that to do the work you do, which is good. Yeah. Although there are times when I think, hey, maybe I don't need it anymore. Maybe I've arrived. Maybe I finally have enough healing that uh, I don't need any more work. And that continues to not be true. Yeah, that's, I think, the nature of um, original sin. We, 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 I think the nature of original sin is actually autonomy. And um, we want autonomy from God because we think we know better. And that is something we have to um, uh, repent of all the time. And God so wonderfully uh, forgives us from it for it every time. <laughs> so Yeah. And when we get into that autonomy mode, being my own savior, a verse is so true from first Peter and from Proverbs where it says, God opposes the proud mm. and gives grace to the humble. Amen to that. And one of those areas of pride for me, and also sometimes of self-contempt and despair, is this undercurrent of comparison that we've talked a lot about. And so I wanted to include everyone else listening to our conversation on comparison, because we all deal with it at some level, especially in our sexual brokenness, mm-hmm. comparing ourselves to people who seem to be more free than me or less free than me. And it just doesn't help. Michael, why is comparison a problem? Well, I mean, there's several things that come to mind. One is it really comparison denigrates who we are. I mean, just our basic being. It says, you know, that we're not good enough or that we're better than everybody else, both of which are really dangerous. It causes us not to see ourselves accurately. It also denies the beauty that we have been given as image bearers of God. And when I mean beauty, I don't mean just physical beauty. It's the all the beauty of all our being um, uh, as image bearers, uniquely image bearers of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we deny that beauty, 
you know, we're really kind of saying to God, you didn't do a good job. <laughs> and that is a terrible thing because God doesn't make mistakes. I mean, that's a kind of a cliche term, but he doesn't. He creates each of us in his image. And therefore we have value, we have worth, and we do not. Um, yeah. So when we, when we enter into comparison, that's, that's really starting to deny the beauty that we have. Um, and in that discouragement that we often feel in comparison, so just looking at the low side of comparison, um, we tend to turn to fantastic beauty. We try to go into a fantasy beauty to try to fulfill that sense of emptiness, like I'm not good enough. So that's where pornography and other um, unwanted sexual behavior starts to enter in is because we, um, we don't feel sufficient. And so we need to hold on because we're made to enjoy beauty. That's, that's something that God put in us. That is, and, and the ultimate beauty is God himself. Um, that is the, that's the danger of comparison is that it kind of leads us. It kind of, it, it draws us like honey into fantastic beauty, unrealistic beauty, um, which um, honestly just never satisfies. Um, it also distorts our perspective because we, we, the real beauty that satisfies um, can never meet the fantastic beauty. And that's the, that's the lure, that's the, that's the um, way that pornography really sucks our souls in and, and gets us uh, gets it attached to, to that unrealistic perspective. It's so true, especially for those qualities, which I feel like I lack in myself. Mm -hmm. Those are some of the same qualities that tend to be very sexually appealing in porn. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then the high side of comparison is like, I think I'm better than others. And then I'm entitled to do whatever the heck I want, which often is dangerous too, because then we make choices um, from a place of arrogance and a place of privilege, like I, I deserve this, you know, I deserve to use porn because I've worked so hard and I've done, or, uh, or it doesn't have to be porn. It can be really anything. It can be food. It can be, you know, video games. It can be whatever that, which um, we kind of feel like, okay, I've, I'm better so I can do what I want. It may be, it may have nothing to do with our sexual appetites, but it, on the other hand, it could have everything to do with our sexual appetites. If, just we just have many different types of appetites that are often playing a, a role in it. Yes. So we can think I'm entitled to sexually act out or more in my case, historically, I have become so self-assured that I'll begin to toe the edge and think mm -hmm. there's no way I could possibly fall off of this edge. Um, mm -hmm. I'm totally fine. And, and so I guess there's a denial too that can come from it. Absolutely. You, you hit it on the, on the button and I, I can get into that mode where I feel like I'm doing well, you know, I can read this magazine. I can look at this website and I'm not going to be tempted. And that's mm -hmm. just as dangerous. Um, not to say that the beauty, again, the subtle part of this is beauty. We're made to be um, attracted to beauty. Um, it's just that those false beauties, those um, those um, fantastic beauties, rather than the real beauty. So I like. I, I wanted to say this: real beauty really satisfies. Um, 
we feel full when we um, when we experience real beauty. So I, I like the example of I, I happen to love art museums. And um, so I'll go to art museum and I, after about two hours, I can't look at anything anymore because I've just consumed so much creative, artistic, historic, you know, fantastic works of art. And I just feel really full, like I have to stop. Um, that's real beauty, um, fantastic beauty. It's, it's, you're just hunger for more and more and more. And even though you masturbate, it just, it just, uh, you still have a hunger that, that gets this, this thirst is continue needs to be slaked for the next time. Whereas real beauty, um, you just, you sit and wonder, you sit in awe, you, you feel full, you feel satisfied, you feel contented. Um, and that's where I want to say like beauty is a good thing and we are to desire beauty. Um, but it is beauty that is real and honorable and honors um, the other and that honors um, the, the image bearing of another rather than consuming and um, holding on to and seeking to control, which is what our fleshly self tends to desire. Um, and um, that's, the, that's the part we have to learn to trust God to help us to manage. It sounds like you're saying that when we are truly satisfied by real beauty, then we don't feel the need to constantly seek after some kind of phony version of it. And maybe even that can look like trying to be more beautiful or trying to be more strong or trying to become the thing that I feel like I I lack rather than appreciating someone else we can easily become envious. And I think that even goes for ministry too. Like I need to be able to appreciate the good kingdom work that somebody else is doing without having to stack up or measure up. Um, thinking, oh, I'm doing so much better or they're so much further ahead than me. Um, this happens in recovery. This happens in ministry. This happens in marriage. This happens with family. That happens in singleness. Um it happened with the disciples when Jesus, the disciples are like, Jesus, these people are casting out. They're not part of our, their, our team. And he's like, wait, if they're casting out demons in my name, they are on our team. And it's okay. You don't, we don't need to be jealous of them. We don't need to be envious of them. Um, and so, yes, I think it's part of human nature to desire to say, well, am I in the right team? Am I, am I on the better team or the worst team? And God's like, wait a second. It's not about your team. It's about me and about people coming to love me and experience more of who I am. And, um, not about, you know, my numbers, my ministry, my marriage. Um, uh, when you're truly beloved, you can celebrate everybody else's good, amazing stuff and, and, and enjoy that. Enjoy the goodness of others. But, you know, it's easy to get into the trap um, of, of comparison. I want to invite everyone right now to take a little U-turn of looking inside and ask, where am I comparing myself in my life? Where am I 
feeling superior to others? Where am I feeling inferior to others? Michael, what has comparison looked like for you? Thanks for asking uh, a challenging question that I've actually been thinking about because we've been dialoguing about this. Um, It's longing to be who I'm not. And therefore, I don't end up being comfortable with who I am. You know, one of the things that can be challenging, I'm I'm um, Chinese American, Asian American, and um, that has its own challenges within terms of the picking order of society, particularly in relational areas like dating and um, marriage. And you know, you know, I I'm short. I'm not short, but I tend to be shorter. Um, uh, definitely a lot shorter than Drew, um, but a lot of people are a lot shorter than Drew. Um, you know, and uh, you know, Asian males have historically not felt um, seen as much within the kind of social scene of high school and college. And so I have long not felt comfortable in my own skin. I, I'm grateful that I am now, but. Um, for a number of years, especially growing up, um, having the challenge of um, in, in, I lived, grew up in a primarily uh, white neighborhood and had a hard time finding uh, a girlfriend or someone who, who would be willing to date me. Um, and so I, I think I would always felt less than. Um, and that's one area of comparison. Um, that also caused me not to always operate in my strengths um, because I try to be somebody that others would find appealing. Um, The problem is that there's certain imposter syndrome to that, but it's also exhausting when you try to be someone you're not. We're we're only good at, as someone told me, you're only good at being yourself, really. Um, And when you're trying to be someone else in order to seem better, you know, more appealing, more received, more in the in-group, um, you end up exhausted, um, and I've I've been exhausted trying to be someone I'm not um, in order to satisfy some kind of idealized sense of what I what I want people to perceive me at. And then one last thing is um, I basically honestly did a lot of image management. I have some amazing friends who could see through it, and they would just tell me like, "You're not talking like you normally do." Like they would say in certain situations, I would change my voice, I would change my tone. And I'd be like, no, I just like I always am. But they said, no, you're more anxious. You're not being yourself. Um, I'm grateful for that. I mean, it took me a long time to figure out what in the world they were talking about because I thought I was just being myself. But what I was doing is I was trying to image manage so that others would see me in a certain way because my normal self wasn't enough. And that was um, part of the, the curse of comparison. Um, and it's, again, it's, it's dangerous because when one is anxious, for me, being anxious meant that I would um, work so hard at that when I was in public or in certain settings at the office with my colleagues. And as a result, my family ended up suffering because when I can come home exhausted, you don't have much um, when you've spent a lot of time being someone you're not. So my kids, um, my spouse at the time um, experienced some really negative repercussions of me trying to Im- image manage 
the rest of my working life or when I was um, traveling, um, they would get the dregs of Michael, um, which is, you know, I've had to repent of and uh, ask forgiveness of. So how about you, Drew? How have you seen it? For me, it started out very early with feeling so behind and ill-equipped to relate to girls. And I remember my greatest wish every time my birthday would come around and I would blow out my birthday candles, my wish would be that this year I could have my first kiss. Mm. And 13, 14, 15, all the years would go by and it just wouldn't happen. Partly because I was so mortally afraid and partly because I would begin to try to pursue others and express attractions and it never worked out. I was always rejected. And so I felt so inferior to some of the other boys who were able to have a girlfriend. And that was my wish. That was my envy. That was my comparison for so long. I I didn't actually successfully start dating someone until I was 20. And, um, and so that's how it started for me. And ultimately it really put a lot of pressure on that first dating relationship, which crashed and burned um, quite painfully. You can't, it can't carry that level of pressure. <laughs> a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And then later closer to now, I feel comparison more with my career mm-hmm. and there's a part of me that wants to live up to my dad's success in his career. Mm. And when I'm on the phone with my dad, of course, one of the questions he asks is about work or sometimes I'll talk about work and I find myself going into that people-pleasing mode, like trying to win his affirmation or approval. And sometimes he'll even give it to me, but it never feels enough. Mm. And so that's a little bit more of, of my comparison now. And that's driven me to do some things in promoting the ministry that that have not been about Jesus or building his kingdom, but they've been about Drew trying to be the so-called seeming successful son. That's why comparison is a trap. You can never, it's this thing that you keep trying to do, even if the person like you're trying to compare yourself to doesn't want you to, or doesn't even care. um, The comparison trap just keeps us in the state of wanting more always. There's never good enough. And people can tell you, Oh, you're not that bad. You're so great. And look at this. You're you're doing wonderful or I love the way you look or I love who you are. But it doesn't feel like it actually helps and maybe even deepens that trap of like, mm-hmm. oh, look, I've I've convinced one more person when in reality I don't see myself that way at all. Yeah, comparison really doesn't have many upsides. Because there's always going to be someone who is better in some way. So it's an unending cycle that you that one can get them, themselves into. So if comparison doesn't have any upsides, 
Why then do we compare ourselves to others? I think in part because um, unless we live um, under a rock, it's always around us. Um, We are so encouraged by so many different things around us to compare. Um, The world um, constantly is pushing us to compare. Uh, Mm. This is, I mean, there's so many examples of this um, in sports, particularly. I mean, Um, I was deeply saddened when at the Olympics, when some of the Japanese athletes um, uh, felt ashamed because they didn't have a gold medal. I mean, and that's nothing against the Japanese as I state that, but there's this sense of, well, if I'm not the best, at least at that moment, um, I'm nothing. And that's just um, when it, that's an extreme, but it's an extreme that influences the way we respond to these opportunities to compare ourselves. Um, and uh, honestly, a lot of comparison, which is seen in very subtly sometimes or not so subtly in advertising um, can be used to kind of manipulate our sense of self and quote unquote, even use it to quote unquote, push ourselves to be better and grow. Um, but it really, all it is, is just, um, uh, denigrating who we are and saying we're not good enough. And that message of not good enough is really powerful. I mean, I have suffered and struggled with that many a time. Um, and in some cases people feel like, or at least the environment feels like comparison is needed for survival, you know, surviving my business won't survive unless it's good enough, you know, be able to get into the the right college or the right program if I'm not good enough. Um, I, I, I won't get a scholarship for, or I won't be recognized for my sports achievement unless I reach this standard. You know, if I, I have to be this good um, uh, in order to be loved, accepted, or even, you know, um, uh, be able to move ahead in either my career or college or whatever it is. Or to pass on my genes. I mean, there is a deep survival instinct Mm -hmm. to have the status to be the alpha male or to be a contributing member of the wolf pack versus being left behind. Yeah. And it's, it's dangerous. I mean, we create these structures that um, push us to compare so that we will try even harder and we feel like if we don't do well enough that we won't survive, that we will literally die. Um, that's a false um, dichotomy that's created, but it's one that we see in all sorts of you know, forms, whether it be social media or through storytelling and movies, um, uh, you know, the survival of the fittest. Why do you think Survivor was such a popular, it still is a popular show for so long. It's just like, Okay, I, I've got to I've got to do this in order to survive. I've got to compare. I've got to be good enough. You know, when I was in middle school, I remember pretending like my classroom would be on that show Survivor, and I just had this little fantasy in my head that we would all be on an island, or maybe it was a desert island, and all the boys and the girls in the class had to decide. Who are we going to mate with? And I was trying to rank everybody and see who I'd be able to match up with on that island. It was just spontaneous. That's what I was thinking about during the middle of math class. Wow. 
And that just shows how infiltrative comparison is in all parts. I mean, you were a young, young, I mean, you were a young adolescent at that point, and yet you already sensed that comparison was critical in order to survive, in order to not be voted off the island, so to speak. Um, the other scary thing I will tell you about comparison is the issue of um, privilege. For many of us, and honestly, Drew and I, you and I are both people of privilege. We have, in terms of our education, in terms of our background and all this. And a lot of time people of privilege use comparison to manipulate others. Um, have power over others. And that sense of power is really dangerous. I mean, it, it can be um, intoxicating, so to speak. Um, we may not think of ourselves as powerful, but the reality is in a place of privilege in, 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 in terms of the world, we are in places of privilege. And when, we are pri when we're in a place of privilege, our influence can be used to push down others and lift ourselves up. Um, uh, instead of stewarding our privilege to lift people up the way that Christ lifted people up. And what he's called us as followers of Jesus is if we're going to be like Jesus, he's going to be about dying and there through his death, lift other people up. In the same way, you know, a lot of messages of privilege are let's, let's push people down and let's make sure, or let's maintain our sense of privilege rather than using our sense of privilege to to grow and lift people up. And that's, I think, what Husband and Child is really seeking to do. You're using the gifts and talents you're doing to lift men up, the self-hatred and saying, no, 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 you're made in God's image, be lifted up. Um, and that's what um, you're trying to do in your ministry. That's what I'm trying to do in, in my work. Um, and, and, you know, I hope everywhere I go, because really I, you know, the fact that I went to grad school by definition puts me in like 1.1% of the world. Um, and so how do I use that privilege to lift people up rather than put people down or to maintain my status? Like, how can I make sure I stay at the head of the pack? Um, that's the, that's the, that's the call of our world um, and some of our flesh. Um, but that's not the, the call of Christ. So we find ourselves caught between the call of the world and the call of Christ. I think we've done a pretty good job of painting a vivid picture of our problem here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what is the cure for comparison? Um, having been someone who has um, felt like they were at the bottom of the barrel um, four years ago, um, uh, I went through a divorce. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that that I'm not going to get into, but I definitely uh, felt like um, everything that was important to me was gone. Um, my marriage, my, my, my kids, um, not that I lost my kids, but you know, the, the sense of what my, I wanted for my children growing up. Um, it was just in a place of desperation and brokenness. And the, you know, when you walk around, like you feel like there's a big divorce D on your chest, that's a type of comparison. That's a way of saying, I just suck. I am the scum of the earth, not, not the way that Paul talks about scum of the earth. Um, I just felt like I was denying every good part of who God made me to be. Um, the antidote to that, in my mind, was to know my belovedness. Um, that has really been the healing process for me. Um, I didn't know that belovedness. I 
sought for my wife to give me that belovedness. I sought for my kids to give me that belovedness. And that is a burden that nine of them should have um, carried. Um, but that is deeply rooted in comparison. And, and, and I felt like that was the only way I could feel and sense my belovedness. Um, having been single for the last four years and um, on, been on a journey of belovedness, which has been absolutely astounding. Um, at, uh, I, does that mean I'm never, <laughs> do I never feel lonely or anything? No, but I will say that God has shown me through my communion with, I like to call him Papa, the Father, um, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, uh, a, a deep sense of what it means. And that's my prayer often is like, help me operate out of my true belovedness. And I'll give you a, um, a text that's been really helpful for me. That is a book written by Henry Nowen called The Inner Voice of Love, which is really an entire book, very simple, it's a very short book, um, reflecting on what does it mean to be beloved of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And um, when you one operates from belovedness, you don't need to compare because you just know how wonderful it is to be beloved of God. And when you're beloved of God, guess what? You're going to be beloved of others too, because you're going to love freely and people are going to be drawn to that love that God has placed and you're experiencing, not just placed in us, but we're experiencing. And when people experience that love of God, they want to respond to that. There's just no way they won't because they're captured by the love of God in us. And in that, in that as a byproduct, we experience being loved by others, which is a beautiful thing as well. well and not, not, it can be sexual. It could just be just relationship, friendship, which is a beautiful thing. I count you, Drew, as one of my friends. And when we spend time together, I get nourished by that relationship. That's not a sexual relationship, but it is a, a, a deep sense of relationality of friendship that satisfies me as a single person, which I think is really important uh, as a single. Um, so I would say, you know, and that kind of goes into what the second cure is community and community is not this idea like, okay, the people I hang out with or the sports team I'm on or the book club I'm in, but it's that sense of what is that interrelational connectedness and love that people share with one another. That's real community. Community isn't people who you're nearby with. Community is really people who desire your best and you desire their best. That's community. Um, and that is a cure for comparison because it's not contingent on you being whatever you believe, you know, we should be. It's just pouring out that belovedness to another and that shared connection that grows out of that. And I know the pandemic's been really hard on that. Um, fortunately, we have been given other platforms for it. It's not the same as being in person, but there is still an opportunity for us to really express, um, like, I don't get to see you that often, Drew, but I do sense your love for me. And I hope you sense my love for you. Um, uh, because we happen to live very far from each other. Um, uh, but we can still experience that love in community. And then the last thing I would say in terms of a cure for comparison is to trust in God's goodness um, in terms of his deposit in each of us. 
like his good deposit in each of us is 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 beautiful in its own way and when we trust that god has made us in his image and that is good in fact the genesis 1 says very good we can really trust in that very goodness we don't there's not a need to compare because that very goodness is so satisfying and so rich when we deeply experience it not as a theological truth but as a felt experience so those would be some of the things that i would think of as a cure for comparison what comes up for you drew i love that word belovedness syllables worth savoring and then to have a community built on that because comparison is focused on categorizing us and feeling different than each other and maybe trying to fit in or trying to uh, find my place. Whereas in a community of belovedness, we already belong. Amen. Amen. And that's really what we want. We want to belong. And, and when we're beloved, we belong. And when we're beloved, we can help others belong. That's the, that's the overflow of belovedness. It's not just for us. It's a gift given to us because God does love us so unconditionally. But he wants us to give that gift to others and help others belong. And in the process of others belonging, we even feel more belonging because that, 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 that body of Christ is really coming, becomes fleshed out. And that's, that's fabulous, you know. And I think Henry Nouwen calls it hospitality, welcoming one another. Yeah, one of my mission planks in my mission statement is to create a home where people can rest, belong, and experience the love of Jesus. And that's really those three things, a place where I can just rest. I can be myself. I don't have to I don't have to to be something other than I am. That's anti-comparison. You know, a place where I belong. I don't have to perform to be a part of I, 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 instead of apart from, which a comparison creates an apart from dynamic. Belonging, it, it creates an apart of dynamic. And then finally, you know, that, 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 is, that happens because of the love of Jesus, not because of my ability to stir up enough love for someone, because that just runs out really quick. <laughs> but it's that it is where Jesus's love, which is boundless, can flow and be experienced. And I think that is true hospitality. Hospitality com components, uh, maybe it's not complete, but includes things like rest, belonging, and experiencing the love of Christ. I love that mission statement. That's so good. And that's the cure for comparison. You know, when I'm in comparison mode, a lot of my thoughts start out with the words, if only. If only this, if only that. When I am in belonging mode and beloved mode, the sentences start with even if. Mm. Even if I don't have what I think I want. Even if I'm not as great as I'd hoped. Even if everything fails, I am still God's beloved son. And he is well pleased with me. Oh, and I got it. That's a that's a great. I just I had heard this from Sky Jatani recently at a sermon. 
he's talking about when G- when the father says that, when Papa says that to Jesus, Jesus has not done a single thing in ministry yet. <laughs> I was like, I didn't realize that. He hadn't done a single thing. Probably the most ministry he did was make some really cool tables for someone, you know, which is great. I mean, that's ministry of its own type. But he had not done a bit of formal ministry and he is beloved. And that's where we don't have to perform for God. We're to respond to God's love and do all sorts of really amazing things for him. But it's not conditional. Uh, Our belovedness is never conditional on what we've done or what we're like or how tall we are or how short we are, how in shape we are or how not in shape we are. It's just, it just is because that's God's um, posture towards us. Always, 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 always. And he started, and he, I think, you know, and Jesus says, this isn't for me. This is for all of you to know that I'm beloved. And that's so important because that modeling is so key for us. And Jesus and and Papa do that with each other so that we would know that we are beloved. I mean, obviously Jesus knows he's beloved, but to, to do that demonstrated belovedness before any ministry, um, I think is such a key truth for us to embrace. I'm marveling at it right now Mm. that when Jesus comes to bring the kingdom of God, it starts with that. It starts with belovedness. And this kingdom is very different. (laughs) Yes. Very, very different. Um, It has totally different metrics. Um, It values totally different things. Uh, you know, Jesus displayed a completely different kingdom. And you can tell because his goal was to die so that he could give everything, give us everything we could want in life. And, you know, if you, all you have to do is turn on the TV or look in a magazine that like everything is trying to teach us not to die, <laughs> you know? So that's why comparison is so hard because, you know, all the messages are, no, no, don't give, go, go climb, get higher, get more beautiful, thinner, bigger, stronger, whatever, you know, more free from porn. Yeah, we can even use that as a, uh, a, a way. To, it, it doesn't, it's not that it's not going to be free from porn, but it can become such, such an idolatrous process. And Jesus is like, no, you're going to get everything when you die, when you give those things up. You don't have to climb any ladder to be beloved. You're, the things that are truly valuable in life aren't the ones that you're, you know, you're grappling and fighting for, you know, that you're comparison to, you know, um, because my metrics are just completely different. My metrics are not, you know, status, um, power, wealth. Um, my, my metrics are um, how much do you get to love people? How much can you pour out your life? Like as I pour into your life, you know, those are the metrics that really matter. And now, you know, we can use our resources to do that. That's what our resources are for. We can use the places of authority and influence and power to, to lift people up. Like I talked about before, we can, those things aren't bad in themselves unless it's just there to make us feel better about ourselves when we don't need to feel better about ourselves. We're, we are, we are beloved by the God of the universe. Like there's really nothing better 
the the problem i think the disconnect i would say drew is that we we know that in theory but we have to practice that and engage that um on a daily moment by moment basis in order to really operate from that place and then to operate and with kingdom metrics i am ready to hear more about that what are some practical ways we can live differently and heal the things that i come to my mind when i was thinking about that is um, first to just be honest with ourselves, be honest with who we are and who we aren't um, and begin to accept that. And the way I think one accepts becomes sees that as good rather than uh, just resignation. Okay. I'm this way, you know, um, is to spend time with Papa Jesus and the spirit and to let their inner, their voice of love, ring loudly, not in our brains only, but in our hearts. We are talking a lot about belovedness. Belovedness is not this static thing. It is a relationally dynamic reality. And there's times that we're not going to feel beloved. And that's okay. Like, I, I, I think that's just part of um, fallenness and brokenness. But it, we don't have to live there. That's the thing. We don't have to live in that discouragement, you know, always but the orienting to the communion of the trinity is uh, to me has been key like i need that orienting every day because i can easily fall into comparison you know not beloved you know very very easily it's just it's just one of those things so um i think the other thing that i found very practical is to slow down and intentionally choose against the rat race and know what I am motivated by. Um, because a lot of my rat race, my tendency to get into stuff that I don't need to get into is, is based on comparison. I want to be better. I want to have more. I want to have, you know, I, I want to look a certain way. And not that it's wrong to exercise or have a job and make an income, but I want to ask myself every day, what am I motivated by? Yes, I can make more money by working more. But is that what, why am I doing that? You know, what is, what is the underlying reason? And the only way to do that, to discern what is our motivation is to slow down and to step off the, the treadmill. And, and it doesn't mean we don't get back on the treadmill and do some running, um, but um, enough of a slowed down, trusting God to slow down. Some people say, I can't slow down. I we got 8,000 things to do. And I'm like, well, that means learning to trust God for what you don't get done so that what you do get done is motivated um, by the Lord and not by comparison or fear or um, any number of other motivations that um, kind of drive us. If we struggle with comparison and we're honest about it, um, to, is to repent. First thing is repent. And God loves it. You know, I love this. There's this um, uh, story. I'll just tell this very briefly. Rick McKinley writes in his book. I, I forgot the name of the book, but um, he says, when Jesus says repent, he says it with this loving long, longing that we would return to him. Repentance is, is this beautiful opportunity to return to the good grace of God. And so when we find ourselves comparing ourselves, we repent, we confess, 
we receive the deep forgiveness that's been earned on the cross by Jesus, and then ask the Spirit, give me another path. Show me another way to go. Help me out of this comparison path. And guess what? The Spirit loves doing that. I think the Spirit delights in it. Another thing I would say is choose risky situations where you'll screw up and fail. (laughs) Because then you don't have to compare. Like to trust God and see his faithfulness and not just my own ability to create my own kingdom. And I'm not talking about like crazy risky where you're going to, you know, you're going to cause yourself bodily harm. I'm talking about risky situations where we can, where God is calling us into trusting him. And I'm not trying to earn it with my own autonomy. That's what comparison, comparison, you know, is, is uses that. I mean, the, 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 the snake does it in the Garden of Eden. God's holding out on you. Just eat the apple. You know, I'm showing you the best way, you know, Doubt God. Don't trust him. He doesn't, he doesn't really want your best. Uh, you know, take control so that you can be wise. And, and I think that's one of the things that we can do is we can take risks that God has called us to and trusting ourselves to him so that we don't have to, we don't have to fight the ladder of comparison. Amen. And those risks can be big or they can be really small and even silly. Mm-hmm. I have a silly one to share. Actually, maybe calling it silly is is a little bit self-deprecating. It was big for me. I love swimming. And I'm not a technically trained swimmer. And I have been going out swimming in the ocean with guys who would probably be a lot slower than me on land, but they zoom by me in the water. Hmm. And, and I decided to go on a community swim out in the ocean. Uh, They do it once a week here in Santa Barbara during the summer. Hundreds of people getting in the water. And I signed up for the mile swim. I never swam a mile before. Whoa. So I get out there. I'm swimming. And while I was in the same part as the people doing the short distance, I was in the pack and it was great. But after we got out to where only the mile swimmers were swimming... I was way behind everybody. And it was a moment for me to choose either comparison or celebration. Mm. Either I'm going to compare myself to all the people who only swam a little short distance and say, oh, yeah, I'm doing the mile. Or I'm going to compare myself to the really technically trained swimmers who are way ahead of me. And I'm 10 or 15 minutes behind them. All by myself, out in the deep water, no less. (laughs) (laughs) And I felt God inviting me Mm. to look at the sunset Mm. and look at the mountains and feel the salt water and to breathe Mm. and to enjoy this moment and to choose celebration over comparison. Because coming out of that water, it would have been easy to compare myself. Mm And what I chose to do instead was celebrate. I just swam farther than I've ever swam before. Amen. And it was slower than I thought. And it was different than everybody else. And that's okay. And I want to give that gift to all of you guys who are on this journey to freedom from porn. You might be way behind where you thought you'd be by now. And yet right now, 
my guess is you are farther and deeper than ever. And that is worth celebrating. Amen. And I think that's something you're going to be doing here soon um, together with some men is celebrating. And we celebration is such a life-giving process um, and is in is an antidote to comparison by mm-hmm. your story. That's awesome. And, and, and God takes pleasure in that, you know, he takes, he takes such pleasure in you, Drew, that you responded to his, his prompting in your heart as you were, you know, stroking away. And I celebrate that even though I really struggled to swim at all. And I wish I was a better swimmer, but I looked at you and I go, Whoa, that is so awesome. <laughs> but I, and, you know, I think part of when you feel beloved, I can say that and say, okay, yeah, I don't swim very well at all, but I don't care. I just think it's so cool that Drew did that. And, uh, you know, comparison, then you're free from comparison and you can celebrate and experience um, the joy of what God's doing in those around us rather than envy and jealousy and saying, well, God, why didn't you give me that? Why, why can't I be a good swimmer? Why can't I, you know, experience complete freedom from porn like so-and-so does. And, and that's just so unhelpful. It's, it's the, it's the enemy's love when we compare, uh, compare ourselves against each other. Yeah. Michael, what is your favorite thing about healing in this area of comparison? Uh, for me, the first word comes is freedom. Um, I, you know, Christ died that we might be free. I mean, that's a short paraphrase of Galatians 5. And I want to relish the freedom that Christ has given me. I don't want to, you know, and, and comparison just binds you up. Um, freedom is such a, a great thing. And I think the the outflow of freedom is joy. Um, uh, a, a joy and a celebration like you were talking about of, of what it means to, to know one's sense of belovedness. Um, there's nothing more joyful and that's a joy that can weather all sorts of really hard stuff, um, painful stuff, rejection, failure, um, loss, um, grief. Um, joy can withstand that. It doesn't mean that and different from happy. You know, there's a sense of um, a true contentedness when we are f- truly free in Christ. And it doesn't mean life isn't going to be really painful sometimes. Um, but joy actually sustains us. Um, in that process. And I think uh, ultimately, I think healing brings um, portions of peace. Uh, peace is a tough thing, especially if we want to take any look um, out into our world with any um, lens of reality, you know, whether it's COVID or racial unrest and racism or um, poverty or the climate, um, any number of other very difficult, challenging issues our world is throwing at us if we're going to keep, unless we want to put our heads in the sand. Um, So I think when we experience healing, we can be peaceful. And peaceful is not ignorance or just blowing off what's really going on there. It's, It's the peace that we know that God loves us and is in control, even when we don't quite understand what the world's going on. And that's hard because, for, especially for me, because I like to understand and I don't always understand. I, my brain isn't big enough to understand every one of these very complex issues our world is facing right now. Um, but I can have peace when I, when I know who has the world in his hands. 
in uh, even better their hands. So I think of healing as being a process of whole, becoming whole. So it's not like I'm perfectly healed. That doesn't really actually happen till heaven, but it's this process of becoming more and more whole. And the more whole I become, the more free I become. And what I mean is whole in Christ, in him, in him, in me, um, that wholeness that produces freedom, that results in joy, and ultimately there's peace. And that's the kind of healing that I want and long for. Um, I try, I, I long for that every day. Um, uh, and it's something I tr- seek to rhythm into each of my days is to, to be really truly mindful in the best sense of um, what it means to be beloved by the Trinity. It's been a joy to talk with you about this and to have a little bit less comparison, a little bit more freedom today. Amen to that. And uh, I think God delights in the kind of these kind of conversations. And I hope all you folks who are listening out there um, might be able to take home um, a little bit of Drew and I's enthusiasm for what it means to be beloved and how that serves as such an anti-comparison antidote to what um, often we feel pressure um, to compare. Um, and, and that you would experience more freedom, more joy, and, and more peace. I, I, and Drew, thanks for letting me just get to be a part of a conversation with you. It's always, it's always a blast. We always get to <laughs> explore all sorts of fun stuff. Um, uh, and uh, that is part, I think, the beauty of, of friendship, um, uh, the beauty of um, rich relationship um, in, 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 in Jesus. Thank you so much, Michael, and for everyone else. Always remember, you are God's beloved son, and you, he is well-pleased. Well,